welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we're going on a flight where we may frame you. Oh, spoiler. We watched Nightflyer, or Stephen King's The Nightflyer, released theatrically, right? This is a theatrical release? It was a theatrical release, but it wasn't released originally that way. Apparently, it was released... Uh, there was an issue with the rights to the production. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it was uh, independently financed by European investors. Okay. Due to a crowded release schedule, the studio could only bring the film to theaters in time for Halloween 1998. So the director and producer didn't take Paramount's offer to keep the uh, keeping the film on the shelf until 1998 would break obligations with European investors. So it was actually premiered on HBO. Oh, okay, in November. In November. Which still misses Halloween. Right. So, good job, everyone. And it did You've get, done excellent work. Oddly enough, it did later get a theatrical release. In February but, of the next year, Right, but like. it did not do well. Well, apparently. nothing that comes out in February does well. That's yeah. where they put the stuff they don't want you to watch. Well, this film didn't deserve it. I think it was fun. It was really inexpensive, apparently. The budget was terribly, terribly low, which unfortunately shows at times, but we'll get into that later. So how was your week? My week? My week was good. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what's happened in the last week. Uh, just so a much. weekend. Just, just well, How was your weekend. New Year's? Well, we, oh, yeah, no, last week, year, uh, last week we wished you a Happy New Year, but we hadn't had a New Year's. It was right. fine. Um, we do Happy New Year every year. And thanks, Trader Joe's, it makes it easy. We mm-hmm. just make apps and eat them. And then we try and stay up till midnight, but I bailed at 11.15. I was awake at midnight, but I didn't want to be up at midnight. Right. Um, I don't I don't enjoy the New Year as a holiday. Well, especially not in this neighborhood. Although it wasn't bad this year, I don't not think. Not as bad as it had been. Like, 4th of July was terrifying. Well, so 4th of July was a wreck. People it were was taking cover under their cars. Like, literal warfare outside. Mm. And we are too close to it in the reality for me right. to be able to handle it in the uh, abstract. It's not, it's not good. So we did that, and then we just chilled out, and we watched a movie on New watched, Year's Day. Yeah, it was a horror New Year, too. We went, yes. And then that was it. Yeah. And it was nice. And then we went back to work on Thursday because the Wednesday holiday uh, schedule is the worst, everyone. You all know what I'm talking about because you all are dealing with the same thing, unless you were smart and just took a whole week and a half I off. You could manage it. That was the only advantage, as, despite the, the low pay and everything else. The only real advantage of working for the school system was that you, you had got the two, two weeks. weeks off. Yeah. And that was nice, too. Of having that because mm-hmm. we are right across the street from a school. Right. So our mornings have been very quiet and easy to get in and out of our parking. And now it's all it's normal again, again and they're back out there they're, chanting. Right. I there hate are it. kids, there <laughs> are parents, there are buses. Yeah. City buses running down our very City buses street. and school buses, it's a mess. Yeah, it is it's a mess. Yeah. But um, So yeah. we're back to it. Uh, I'm looking forward. Here's what I'm looking forward to. Okay, tell me. This is 2020 and widely proclaimed to be possibly the worst year of all time. It's going to be real rough. But you know what's good about 2020? Christmas Day is on a Friday and New Year's Day is on a Friday. That's Which wonderful. means we will have long weekends when we get to the end of this shit show of a year. So come on, everybody. Hold hands and run towards December. <laughs> I have never started a new year looking so forward to the next new year. Oh, I know. I, yeah, I'd like it to be November. 
Yeah. Yeah, Just so much be would be be November, first. that would be great. It's a chant. Be November. Be, be, be November. November. <laughs> yes. So that's where we're at. All right. How was your week? How um, was your New well, Year's? You New managed Year's, to stay up until... I did all the apps. I was right. cooking while out cooking. You did. This is the masterpiece of my, my culinary skills is that I warmed everything up in the oven. And everything was delicious. And I did not use a microwave for most of it. For some of it you did because it but, was required. <laughs> But it is actually very good, and it was horror movies and the new creep show. We watched some creep show, yeah. Which was really gory. I wasn't expecting Uh, that, but it was funny, too. Yeah, it was so a fun we'll, show. There was a couple of episodes that we'll have to go over. I suppose, and well, we're going to yeah, yeah we'll, we'll because, touch on it when we get there uh, right. at the end of the year, y'all. <laughs> at the end of the year, but it was pretty good. Uh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Hello, Ziggy. We have a third co-host joining us. Sitting in a chair and looking at me. Well, now she's not looking at me. It's a black cat. So if you hear squeaks, that's Ziggy. She says hello. Happy New Year. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Night Flyer. The Night Flyer. The Night Flyer. Not Night the, Flyer not with night a Y. Fly. Right. Night Flyer. No, it's got a Y. Mm-mm. Oh, it does not have a Y. No. Excuse me. Excuse me. I apologize. It's properly spelled. The Night Flyer, no Y, mm-hmm. not to be confused with George R. R. Martin's Night Flyers, right. which we have recommended on this show. We're talking about Stephen King's The Night Flyer, which you can see on the tra- on the uh, poster, along with the monster. They put the monster on the poster, Lemuel. And it was not a good idea because the monster is very carefully kept away from view until the end of the film. Until the end of the film. Right. And, and that was a clever I move. actually really like the monster, but when I look at it on the poster, I don't like it. No, it looks like a sad potato. But I like when he was a potato in the movie. Right. It didn't look like a sad Teethy potato. potato. It looked like a very aggressive potato. So scary. Yes. Big hands. Yeah. <laughs> really That's one thing hands. that worked really well. So to, just to go into the, the the plot of the movie. Okay. So yeah. let's. Get, so this, first of all, we'll say is based on a short story, mm-hmm. which was first published in the anthology Prime Evil, New Stories by Masters of Modern Horror, and then it was included in the 1993 short story compilation Nightmares and Dreams, Dreamscapes. Right. So that's where the story comes from. Uh, we'll say that Richard Dees, our main character, has previously made an appearance in The Dead Zone, in the novel. He's not oh, in the movie, okay. but he is mentioned in the novel. And then Nightflyer could also be the titular character of the short story Popsy, but it's unclear whether it's the same thing. Oh, and Inside View, the tabloid Uh that our protagonist, I guess, (laughs) he's a problematic figure. Yes, you can't say hero with this. Is a tabloid that is mentioned in a bunch of other... It's Stephen King's tabloid, right? Mm-hmm. It's his National Enquirer inside of his world. So it's mentioned in Desperation, Insomnia, The Wasteland, Bag of Bones, Needful Things, Doctor Sleep, and Elevation. It's just when he needs a tabloid, this is the tabloid so, that he has made. So you're telling me, and this is something we talked about last night, there's still a connection between the public and tabloids. I would have thought it had yes. gone the way of the dinosaur. Yes, but... M- I, there's a there's a division now. I think when people think of tabloids now, it's more celebrity centered mm-hmm. or pseudo celebrity centered. 
also Instagram people, right. we're thinking of TMZ as the tabloid yeah. of record at this point. And they don't go after Batboy and Sasquatch and things like that. There are still, like, the Weekly World News is still a publication. Wow. So, is the Enquirer still around? Uh, the National Enquirer is also still around. Now, when I was a kid, I'll tell you, I used to love reading either The Star, there was another one called The Globe, I think, or mm-hmm. The Enquirer, and my mom would get me these tabloids when I was a kid. That's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. The reason why is that it was kind of like pulp science fiction for me. Uh-huh. There were all sorts of articles on Bigfoot, on dinosaurs, on 70-foot sharks. Uh, there were serializations of movies. For instance, I read the, the, uh, the plot for Close Encounters in, uh, I forget which one of those papers it was, that just serialized the plot like you were reading a Reader's Digest story. Yeah. And did a version of it that you got from month to month or whatever. Yeah, um, and now all I feel like all of that stuff has moved on to like creepypasta websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, like, I pulled up the National Enquirer uh, website, which nationalenquirer.com, if you all want to check it out. Along the top, it says National Enquirer, and then there are two red headings. One is Royal Scandals and the other is O.J. Simpson. So he's wow. apparently their lock their you know their stock and trade at this point. But if I scroll down, I'm not seeing the weird or the conspiracy theories right. thing. I'm seeing Jen Gardner wants John Miller to find religion. Nick Cage's four day bride busted. Winona Ryder ready for marriage. Lori Laughlin desperate for prison tips. Danny Aiello took shattering secret to the grave. John Travolta, there's a lot of that. There's a well, lot of so-and-so took a terrible secret to the grave. The, there's a lot of that. There was a time that they run, ran roughshod over celebrities and movie stars, and it was Carol Burnett and a couple of other people who really began to take them to task. And I think that's where a lot of the more fantastic stuff also got curbed over because they would say just about anything. There was a really funny interview with Michael J. Fox when he was starting his career about how I think the Enquirer, someone took a shine to him and so he suddenly was rescuing people from burning buildings. Oh, interesting, and, yeah. And if they didn't like you, on the other hand, if you were Tom Selleck, they could just accuse you of being gay all day long knowing that, that was a slur to some people. So there was that too. Yeah, and it's a lot of baby or breakup, order, mm-hmm. so-and-so's order to support love child, uh, a lot of royal stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say more names because a lot of it is right. slander, basically. It's not, I mean, but it's the same stuff as in, Star right. is now basically a celebrity publication. Right. It's all, and they do the, or us, maybe, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. as pe- celebrities. They're just like us. Um, Only with more money. Property Brothers porn <clears throat> scandal. Like, yeah. So that's where tabloids live now. They don't really live in the conspiracy theory weirdness they will still do true crime mm-hmm. like jean benet is still in the inquirer wow. there i passed a jean benet ramsey uh-huh. uh, story okay um so you know and i'm sure casey anthony still makes regular appearances and things that like that appealed to people before the internet 
Well, yeah, now the internet is... random arcana, modern arcana, with weird stuff in it, witchcraft stuff, and devil cults, and monsters. And, and I think that all, yeah. a lot of that made its way to the creepypasta sites, which are urban legends. Mm-hmm. But they're like creepy sh- stories that right. people are like, so-and-so's brother... This, that, yeah. you know what I mean? It's always twice removed. And there were TV shows, and, you know, uh, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. And real people actually focused on this sort of tabloid journalism back in the day. Yeah. But again, it seemed less malicious at times, more malicious directed at celebrities, though. It's always been pretty bad. Yeah. But the sort of everyday people and their weird eccentric habits and... Mm-hmm. There was a, a guy, I remember, who was... Oh, well, now we just have TLC, like uh, the bizarre... Eating shows right. where people with That's pica the kind of thing cover. and yeah. uh, the you know the the two ton twins and mm-hmm. oh, you the, know uh, the big headline was government waste. There was always a government waste page well, where they talked about. That's just the New York Times now. That's all not. right. All <laughs> the things that were being done wrong. Yeah. So um, yeah, and and the tabloids still do hold a particular um, piece of the culture. Um, politically, mm-hmm. uh, with I want to I gotta find this dude's name. So I always forget it. Pecker, David Pecker. Wow. Yeah, I know. David Pecker. <laughs> Warnings mark clearly on the package. Is the catch and kill? Okay. Oh, that's right, and uh, that's the name of Ronan Farrow's book. So I should have remembered it. Catch and kill means that publications friendly with certain people or groups mm-hmm. will pay for exclusive rights to somebody's story that could be very damaging to that person. In order to suppress it. And then just bury it. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. And he did that with a number of people um, on Donald Trump's behalf. Yeah. So, you know, tabloids are still a going concern in mm-hmm. just a sort of a roundabout way. And not with these sort of weird things, although true crime, like I said, true crime will still pop up, especially the stories that sort of capture right. uh, the nation, the way that uh, Jean Benet Ramsey, you know, mm-hmm. if a, a beautiful white toddler is murdered, for right. instance, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so that's the world of our, well, that's, of our yeah. story. So Richard yeah. Dees, he's a tabloid report, reporter, and he is has a kind of friendly but antagonistic relationship with his publisher. And who is he played by? Who's excuse me, his editor in chief. Yes. Merton Morrison. Merton Morrison. Whose name we could not figure out no. to save our lives up until about the middle of the film. Oh, that's his name. So Merton Morrison has a story that he thinks that Well let's start with Richard Dees, who's he I, played I, by? Okay. <laughs> Richard Dees is played by Miguel Ferrer. Thank you. And we've seen him recently. We've, have we? He was in The Stand. Oh, yes, he was in The Stand. I'm sorry, I don't think it was recently. That was two or three movies ago, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's, okay. you know, I'm 40 years old. It was in the last month, so recently. <laughs> you reached the age when it's recently. <laughs> so, uh, Richard Dees is a reporter. Yes. And he has this friendly, antagonistic relationship with Merton Morrison, his editor-in-chief, at Inside View. Um... Richard Dees is amoral, and we find out later on that he uh, he even went so far as to kind of betray the legacy left behind by one of his co-reporters in order to get a story. Uh, 
Mr. Morton, Morrison tells him about the possibility of a serial killer who's flying from small town to small town, landing on rural airstrips and killing people. And the first, uh, what he thinks the hook is going to be, is that this aviator uh, it goes by the name uh, Dwight Renfield. Yes. And so Dwight Fry is the name of the actor who played Renfield in the 30s adaptation of Dracula. With so Bella this Lugosi. is clearly not a real name. No. So it's an assumed And name. they're basically saying, I'm a vampire. Right. I am a vampire. I am a vampire. Now, um, before we get too far in, the mm. first thing that we see is a, mo- is a mortar. It's murder. Oh, okay. At one of the airfields. The first thing we see is this black plane. Mm-hmm. Um, we do actually see the tail numbers. They say it a whole bunch of times in here what right, the tail number they is. Right, see the tail numbers, but the tail numbers are very much in evidence. Um, and... This guy comes out to ask uh, or to to check on the pilot, mm-hmm. and he calls him Haas a whole bunch of times, and then he goes out and with his uh, his flashlight out onto the airstrip, which seems very dangerous. Mm-hmm. But these are very rural. Right. I think this one very is small. the one in Maine. Uh, very small things, and he um, is. Set upon and slashed in the face. Well, that's the opening scene of the film, yes. Yeah. The, the, the character gets attacked. So that's the sets up what happens yes. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And really the story becomes not the conflict between Rick Dees and Merton Morrison. Because Morrison knows that Dees is very much sort of really aggressive. Yeah, his his editor, well, if it was going to mm-hmm. be a fight between the editor and the reporter. Right. The editor would just fire him. But he right. doesn't. We should also say Richard Dees, he's got his own plane. Right, which is what so makes him ideal for this story. So this is a tabloid reporter who has a plane. Let's just think well, about that for a second. I think that it would be a great way for a person with a pilot's license to make a living, though, because he's sm- uh, flying to all these small towns and getting sure, all these Sure, but I don't stories. know that they pay that well. I don't know that it's his... Is it his plane or is it... Uh, it's his plane. Okay. No, no, no. He says it's his plane. I have a plane, he says. Okay. Right before she tears the thing up. And... All right, so then that's what we have to talk about next, which is... Uh, a young reporter who's coming on to, he's a novice, Catherine Blair, and she, in some ways, we, we don't find this out really until later, and it's not very made very clear until then, so it just becomes odd, seems to idolize Richard Dees. Yeah. Even though he, which is strange, because it he's able to analyze her situation. There's a scene where he breaks down what her issue is, that she tried serious journalism, she couldn't get into the right journalism schools, she goes local, and then she winds up working for this paper because it's the best that she but can do. But he basically goes, you went to a state school, right? and then you flopped out of a regular newspaper, and the, now you're here. It's real rude. He's Well, he's, that's him. He's hostile. He's angry. He's profane. He drinks a lot. We have lots of scenes of him just at bars drinking or drinking alone. That's kind of his thing. Lots of neon in this movie. But the conflict really is between this older reporter and this younger reporter who is trying to find a way in, and the fact that he's so cynical, he's had no advice to give her aside from never believe what you publish and never publish what you believe, which sounds like Stephen King. It sounds like it's a line that he would come up with. Yeah, it's a good line. Yeah. Um, So I do think that that probably came... Directly from the story. From, yes. Okay, I finally figured out who... 
that woman looked like. Mm. You kept saying, who did you think she looked like? She looked to me, and this is, uh, let's see, this is Juliette Whistle, the actress who plays Catherine Blair. Yes. I said that she looked like a very young Terry Hatcher. To me, the whole time she looked like Carrie Lowell. She could look like Carrie Lowell, too. Uh, especially with the haircut. Carrie yeah. Lowell was on uh, was a DA or an ADA on Law and Order. Law and Order and before for that, she was a, a bond girl. Time. Uh, um, she had giant eyes and short hair, and mm-hmm. she reminded me of her. Well, Juliet Whistle apparently is the wife of the director of the film, Mark Pavia, and she has only done two theatrical films from the looks of it. Yes, is she indeed. A, has had a very extensive career, which, which is because her name is like super familiar to me. Yeah, well, because it's also very um, unusual and to whistle. Yeah. So I, I feel like I remember it from someplace else, but apparently it's not the same ant whistle. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, she's lovely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but she's not very good. Well, she's not very good <laughs> for the needs of the film, and so she's playing as sort of the ingenue reporter, and Miguel Ferrer who looks like he's going for his Golden Globes or his Oscar nod for this film. He's just going to go at it. He's never going to phone in a performance. Yeah. He's going to go at it full bore, so he's as bitter and dark as you can get. Yeah. So I don't I don't feel like we're doing a great job of recapping what happened. So let well, me let me try. Okay. So that's the, the scene that we're set. Right. So uh, Miguel Ferrar goes in and goes, I have a new uh, case. Mm-hmm. And his boss says, no, here's your case that you're going to do. Right. And by case, I mean story. But it's basically, so they could be detectives. They could be, you know, mm-hmm. they have their stuff all in a little manila folder. <laughs> right. And he opens up the folder and he looks at it and he's like, there's nothing here. Um, Dwight Renfield is obviously a fake name. And they have his plane type and his tail number. Right. They're going to catch him. There's no story here. Like, it's not going to grow on, and there's not going to be a story here. And then he f- just leaves. And then meanwhile, yes, y- young Catherine comes in and is like, I've done some research on this thing called a computer, and I would like the job, and I would like the story. And he, she gets the story that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, her whole deal is technology. This is 1997 that this film was made in. The internet was... Very young. It's a tiny baby internet. Uh, she's got a laptop at one point, and I'm just like, it's so small and also right. big at the same time. <laughs> tiny screen, giant everything else. Uh, and then when uh, Richard Dees comes back the next day and finds out that he his that the case uh, that the story's been given away, he's like, it's mine. I'm taking it, and I'm flying myself. She's like, she, and she gets mad. She's like, you said I could have it. And Morrison is a bad boss. Well, he's and that he basically mocks her and is like, of I changed my mind. I'm giving it to him. Right. Nothing you can do about it. And then as soon as he leaves, he's like, actually, you can also do it. Which, tabloids must have had a shit ton of money to just pay two people to do the same work. <laughs> it's like so weird. Um, and right after Catherine, that's the weirdest part for her. Right after Catherine hears that she doesn't have the job anymore, she tries to give him the plane ticket that she has to, I guess, Maine. Because there's been attacks in in a 
airport in Maine, an airport in New York, and an airport in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to follow the steps. And she tries to hand it. I guess you want this too, and tries to hand him the ticket. And she and he just leans over and he goes, "I have my own plane." And I'm like, "What a douche!" Because <laughs> nobody who's not a douche has ever said that sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she tears up her ticket and throws it up in the air, which we see from above, right. from I guess a camera in the light fixture. This, and then it pauses like the end of a sitcom. <laughs> this, again, there's not very much money behind this movie. No. And there isn't a single set in this movie that does not look like you're watching theatrical flats pushed together. And so that seemed to me look like somebody standing on a ladder over a stage that obviously does not have a ceiling. There, The office... The office, the editor-in-chief's office, it looks at times like it's changing size. Yeah, it does. It's got a bit of a House of Leaves issue. Some angles, it's not so big. Uh, Everything's cluttered in the center of the room. There appears to be three paintings, three identical paintings in different sizes of a minotaur up on the wall. It's di- no, they're not different. They're not. They're different I, sizes. They're staged. One's large in the center, and then two. I'm sorry. Yes, two different sizes. It's a triptych. Yeah, but but they're not all the same. I don't think they all appear to be the same. At least. Oh, okay. I saw it. it was very weird, and it is a minotaur. So, I, I, it's almost as if they went to a, a staging company and just got all the furniture they could. I mean, I'm sure that's what stacked happened. together. They didn't have a lot of money. It doesn't seem like anyone lives there or uses it really. All right, so now tell us what happens. Now he's got the he's got the story, mm-hmm. and what happens? Well, he starts doing his detective work. He uh, is able to find a pilot, and I think it's the the first town. He goes up to Maine first. He investigates, yes, and there's a a, um, a mechanic who tells him the story again, saying that he couldn't see the letters, the call letters on the outside of the airplane, like, that they're visible to everyone throughout the movie. Uh-huh. There was strange clues, like the person who runs a small airstrip was out washing the airplane. Yes. the uh, His elderly wife, the elderly wife of the guy who runs the airstrip, is out getting a perm. Yeah. That's a that's the different one. That's I thought that was the same. The, no, it's okay. not the same one. Um, I think that's the one in New York. Because um, he didn't have his head, and the one in Maine had his head. Yeah, they kind of run together. They do. They're, it's not one clear. One passed very quickly. I think maybe that's the guy with the missing head. Yeah. And the other airport is the woman who thinks this is her romantic boyfriend or something. Yes. And the husband and wife together apparently had the, the night flyer in for dinner, and then the next day he slaughters them. That's not how I right. read it. Uh, it was that night. She, uh-huh. They were both sort of under his thrall. Right. And so he comes in and kills him, and then she is still under his thrall, and she goes to him, and then whatever happens to her happens to her. Right. But I don't think that they had a... I don't remember seeing a meal. No, it's not... You don't see the meal. It's what the... Um, the his source tells him. To. Oh, okay. I, and then, see, that's part of the story becomes confusing because I think one of them is killed very quickly and they just, it's passed over. The only thing I remember about that particular interview is that the actor tried the main accent. 
Yeah, which the, we the don't see Maine, a lot in these films. The first guy, the guy mm-hmm. in Maine, um, yeah, he says, uh, and he does have the, the whole accent, the mm-hmm. real Pepperidge Farm situation. <laughs> he calls him Haas as well. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is coming back. Uh, and he's like, you know, it w- Claire, right? There's yeah. a man named Claire, which I liked. I was like, that's an interesting thing because I like that name for a man. So uh, his name is Claire, and they were partners. And as he was leaving one night, he saw this black flame plane come in. When he came back the next morning, yeah, he finds Claire sort of absent-mindedly Washing, washing this plane, plane, which w- is not a service that they offer, so he kind of gives him a hard time, but he can't really interact with him. And then apparently that's the same guy then that's killed at the beginning of the movie. Right. And, and that's this... that's that. So the night flyer flies in one night. Mm-hmm. We don't know where he goes that night or during the day because there are questions of well. Was there a taxi that came to get him? Mm-hmm. Was there a limo service that came to get him? No, we don't know what, what he did the rest of that night and the following day. And then he flies out the following night. But before he flies out, of course, he, he has killed this man. And he leaves behind man. a huge pile of earth. Yeah, there's a a gross, wormy pile of earth uh-huh. wherever he goes. And he also leaves behind at least one body uh, drained of blood with these big holes in the neck. Like, Mm -hmm. not like No, no, no. They're they're not like the bite marks you see in films. No. These are... They're over a quarter in in diameter uh, size. They're big. And then some of the... One of the guy's throats is torn out. That's Mm -hmm. a really good effect, and it looks very upsetting. The special effects in this film are very... The makeup... The, they put really all the good. money there, and that's right. where they needed to. Uh, then there's, you know, slashes across the face. One of the men gets decapitated. Mm-hmm. So it's very violent, this this character, this Nightflyer character. So Dee's sort of calls him Nightflyer. Mm-hmm. He won't give any info to Morrison. He says he's it's coming together, but it won't be ready for next week's episode or issue. Uh, and... He'll just have to wait. And I think that might be when Morrison is like, okay, Catherine, who's still been working and doing research on her own, yeah. you can you, you tape that airplane ticket back together and Which you're on the case. Which is given what we saw because it was confetti. Um, and so she heads out uh, and ends up at the same motel as Miguel Ferrer. Of course he does. And Morrison knows that that's the case and like... Weird does a weird evil laugh to himself when he finds out, and I'm just There's like. There's one thing that I, I really appreciate that there was no romance in this. Movie. No, there isn't. It could have been very easy for them to go that yes, route. Yes, and they and didn't. They chose not to. There's a yeah. There was a scene right at the beginning where Catherine seeks out uh, Richard D's at a bar and is like, "I'd love it if you would show me the ropes." Blink, mm-hmm. blink, blink, and he's like, "All right." I guess my motto is, like you said, never believe what you publish and never publish what you believe. And she's like, we don't have to be so mean about it. And I'm just like, okay, she's acting like like if I met Beyonce and Beyonce was like, fuck you. <laughs> and I'd just be like, well, that's what, <laughs> it, it I was like, why is she exactly putting why she's so much him. stock in him? Because... 
what we're told about her history is that she tried to be a serious journalist. Yeah, and so then, then he, he silence of the lambs right. her. That's when he's like, let me guess. You wanted to go to Yale, but ended up at what, like Illinois State? Mm-hmm. And then like and then breaks her down. Really, he does that same thing that uh Hannibal Lecter Hannibal does, Lecter to, does Clarice. to Clarice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the end she's just like, Well, you don't have to be so mean. And I'm just like you better grow some thicker skin if you're going to be a you're tabloid, be working, journalist. Right, tabloid journalism. <laughs> um, uh, no, he didn't treat you well, but this mm-hmm. is the world that you're in right. on purpose, a choice you made. So, yeah. And so she gets a little bit better as we go on. Um, they do one each, into each other um, in Maryland, I think it is, at the last place. And he sees her getting a soda as he's going to his room. Mm-hmm. And so then they have the standoff. And she's, he's like, get off of my, like, get away from my leads. And she goes, I don't need your leads. I have my own. I found, you know, I have all the police reports. I have all the unredacted, uh, like, pathology reports. I have all of, like, I have sources at all of these places. And he's actually, I think, impressed by that, lo, oh, you can do a lot in that little computer box, I guess. <laughs> uh, and Electronic box, that's yes. what they kept calling it. And, but they're both at an impasse because mm-hmm. they don't know where he's going to go and next. we should mention at this point that Deez is being followed by the Night Flyer. That's right. There's a, a couple of encounters where he comes close to actually seeing the man, seeing but he him. doesn't quite see him. Yeah. And what we do see of him... And this is why it's so disappointing that the appearance of the character is on the box. Oh, it's on the box, yeah. And in the advertising is that we don't see his face clearly. We see somebody in a really voluminous cape. Yes, big cape. An enormous cape. And, With a big collar. Right. And we see that from the beginning of the film. Yeah. So we and have big this, hands. Right. Giant hands. As though they made gloves and then made the actor wear them. Uh, so they're like, okay, well, let's pool our resources Let's make a list of all of these. Because the, the thing that's puzzling to them is there is an FAA alert out, and it's hanging at all of these airports. Mm-hmm. And these airports are still being victimized, and they can't figure out why. Yeah, at one point, he's sitting at a bar, and he gets a Bloody Mary delivered to him by the bartender, and it says, stop now. Right. And then... He tries to beat up the bartender, and the bartender's like, I, I don't know. He just told me to give this to you. And then um, he chases him out into nothing, and he's gone. He's not there. Right, which is very typical of his other back, encounters with them. Uh, there's some really good moments in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them involves a dog being chased by a dog who weirdly is perched on the roof. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, so he goes to the, this is the couple that mm-hmm. had been killed. Um, and we had said, because the, the lady, her hair was perfectly coiffed. And I was like, she got her hair done today. And then, of course, we find out she did, in fact, get her hair done today. It was actually a plot point in the film. Right. I was like, see, it looks that good. Uh, but he, he goes and he's going back to his car. He has to cross some police tape to get yeah. there, which is not ideal. And he looks up and there is a dog on the roof. And it is a big dog. It looks like... Yeah. Looks like maybe a pitbull mix or a lab it mix. It's a good looking, size. And it's, it's very disconcerting to see it just sitting there staring at him. And it's staring at him from yeah. the roof, and he like 
goes and makes a break for it. And it is running after him. And then he gets in the car and it's back up on the roof. And mm. it's like, what's happening? There's a lo- I think that gag, the gag gets pulled too much of you turn around and it's not there anymore. It's not there. Oh, it does no. work at points in the film, though. Yeah, I think that worked. I don't remember any more of those. So, uh, Well, the plane comes out of nowhere. He's chasing the man out of the bar, and then suddenly the plane flies overhead. And he's oh, like, yeah, that's he right. Could I was not like, have possibly gone back to the airplane. And the plane suddenly popping out of nowhere keeps happening in the film. Yeah, that's true. This repetitive, well, how the hell did he get back in the plane? That's true, yeah. How do you get back in the plane and then have enough mm-hmm. time to go as far as you have to go mm-hmm. and then achieve liftoff? Yeah, no, it was a little bit wild. Um, and then, so uh, Catherine and Richard decide they're going to team up and they're going to make big lists of airports because... All of these airports know that this thing is happening, and they're trying to find an airport that will say that he's there. Mm-hmm. So they're calling all these small airports in New England and various points in the East Coast. And he gets to the end of his list, and she gets almost to the end of her list, and she like has hung up, and they're both frustrated. And he looks at her list, and she goes, well, Wilming- it's Wilmington's too big. He won't go there. Mm-hmm. And so Dee's like shrugs and puts the phone on speaker and dials the phone. And he says that he's, he says he's Merton Morrison, which is his editor's name, but from the FAA, because he's a lying liar who lies. And we're looking for this plane. Do you have any, you know, have you seen it? Have you seen this plane? And the guy goes, no, click. (laughs) Like after a long silence, no, click. And then they're like, oh, he's lying. And so they're like, okay, well, we have to go to Wilmington. He's there, like, right now. Right. If this dude is still talking to me, he's there, like, right now. So we got to go. Uh, we know that Dee's has a plane, so they don't have to worry about getting. So she's like, I'll be back in two minutes with my stuff. So she goes back to her room, and I was like, oh, he's going to just bounce. He's going to just not be there when she gets back. She gets back in two minutes. And she looks around, and it looks like he is gone. And she, like, huffs. And then he comes into the frame out of where we, where from, I'm not quite sure, with a blanket. And he throws a blanket over her and then forces her into the closet and then wires the closet door shut with so a hanger. It's unclear to me what he is doing. This makes really no sense because as we all discussed watching the movie, it would have been much simpler and much more effective he to just, just have bounced. him to be just go. gone <laughs> yeah. when she comes back. And instead, as you said, somehow he apparently is lying on the floor under a blanket that she doesn't look at. That she doesn't see. And then he throws it over her head. He doesn't need to do any of this. She's probably half of his size. Yeah, she's not a, a large person. Picks her up, puts her in the he closet. He literally goes, ha, huh, that was easier than I thought. He picks right. her up. He forces her into the closet. Right. He, t- he wires the closet door shut. And what, what, is it, what kind of closet door was it? It was like a French door. And it was with slats. With uh, slats, yeah. So she... In a motel. In a motel. She could this have made out of balsa easily <laughs> yeah. gotten out of, the, of the, the doors. And she's like banging on it. And he's like, no, sorry, toots, but this... Story is mine. I mean, apparently, and I'm know, like, so we just made the instead of the protagonist just being a dick for abandoning her. Right. Now he's like assaulted her. Well, and also, you could lean back there. against the back of the closet yes. and use your feet, and you are out in seconds. Now I'm 
taking back to it's Halloween. It's in his room, like you said. It's his right. room. She's not liable for any damage that happens. Halloween, the film where you see Michael Myers just very casually breaking through her French door. Yeah. And these were flimsy, and there's points yeah. where she's hammering her fists on it, and you can tell the entire thing's shaking as if... Yeah, I'm like, don't hit it too hard, hon, right, because your fiction will yes, disintegrate. So if she physically was incapable of getting out of those doors, no. it just seemed ridiculous. It was, it was frustrating. That it, whole scene was very frustrating because it made him a villain, mm-hmm. and it made her look so weak and dumb. Right. And I'm just like, why did we do this? We didn't need to do this. No. And if you're going to lock her somewhere, lock her in the bathroom. Like, what are you... With a real door. With a real door. Yeah. Probably not that but even still just, that good of a door. It much simpler for him not to be there. That would have been a more effective... Yeah, like, babysit um, my stuff, toots. Right, exactly. <laughs> Like, I grabbed what I needed and I'm out. Because it already, it did, also he had cleared it out so it kind of looked like he yes. wasn't there. There was nothing in the closet. It wasn't necessary to pull this other gag. No. It was, yeah. I didn't like that scene. That scene made me mad. <laughs> and then he flies to Wilmington and then... Oh, Wilmington's not too big. Apparently, this dude's taste has expanded, and there are bodies everywhere. It's a small airport, and he killed absolutely everyone. It looks like there are dozens of dead bodies. Uh, It's not clear exactly how many, but there are clearly passengers, employees, pilots, Mm -hmm. this so many dead people and uh, he uh, well when he lands first of all he sees the plane and it's got that weird pile of dirt underneath it and he goes inside these are the best scenes I felt in the film you think so? is um, it's uh, first of all I don't understand how you fly an airplane that's that covered with blood Everything was covered in blood, so that That's was really a, yes. silly. So he goes into the into the, the this cockpit. black plane, into mm. the cockpit, and everything, yes, is smeared with blood. For what? I don't know how you can actually read the control panel. I if it's don't. Literally yes. dripping with no, blood. No, it was just so red. And, and then the earth is in the back. And also, that blood had to be fresh because blood doesn't look like that after no, 15 minutes. It turns yeah. brown, and this was red. So it's and then, yes, the whole back of the plane, the right. belly of the plane is just filled with grave right. dirt. Grave matter. I guess. So grave matter. He, <laughs> Lord. Now, this leads to, I think, the best scene in the film, because he's walking through the airport seeing all the bodies. He gets sick. And he take, he's taking pictures right. the whole time, we should, we should right. note. He is taking photos, and then he goes to the bathroom and to vomits. Yeah. Now, this is the best gag in the entire film. He's standing in front of a mirror, and behind him That's is right. a urinal. Yeah. And the urinal just starts filling up the blood. Yeah. Now, what we know is because this person's a vampire, he's there pissing away some of the blood he drank. Yeah. But you can't see him. You can't see him. You just see the because splash of blood. No yeah. So I think that was a neat gag, it followed was. by the other neat gag, which is as the vampire is coming towards him, there's a row of mirrors. Each one bursts the closer he gets to Miguel Ferrer. Yes, that's right. So that at one moment when he looks and sees nothing, he knows the guy's right behind right him. Right behind him, yeah. Um, because the guy's just walking around, the vampire successfully breaking every window yeah, as he walks by. Yeah, and he by. reaches around him, so he, he, you see this huge hand, mm-hmm. and he makes him destroy the... Uh, film right. in the in the camera, and Miguel Ferrer is still doing the thing where he's looking forward, mm-hmm. so he sees nothing. Right, 
but also this hand is in his vision. It was very cleverly done yeah. because what we get from the director, who's a very competent director, he's good actually, and maybe it? with some more time and money, who's he right? could have done more with the subject. Mark Pavia. But um, all through the film, he's kept framing it so that you never quite see the vampire's face. And sometimes you get the impression he's really monstrous, and sometimes you get the impression that he's a human being. Uh, typically a human being who looks like a romance cover. Yeah, he must have looked like that when he went to the bar, right. because he was presenting as Yeah, well, he can't walk around looking the way he does, because he actually is very monstrous when you finally he see He looks like a potato. With teeth. With but really, really he looked, yeah, like he's meant to look like a bat, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the, what yeah. the look we're going for is. But... Um, but I think he looks like a furry potato with weird teeth. And this is when he's walking away from the crime scene, the vampire. Dee's asked to see his face, and that's when he gives him the bat face. He turns and then around, forces yeah. him to drink some of his blood. Yeah. Oh, the, the interesting thing about the face, the mm -hmm. mouth opens very wide, right. and there's like two teeth, one on the top and one on the bottom in the middle. Uh -huh. Those are the big vampire teeth, and those are the ones that are leaving these big puncture mm -hmm. wounds. So rather than going into the side, he just goes like face first mm -hmm. and bites Yeah, he drops his mouth open neck. like a snake. Yeah. And... Um, and yeah, his teeth, it's a very, it's a really good effect because we're not drowned in it. It's not going on forever. Uh, he gets Dee to drink his blood, during which Dee begins seeing the corpses come to life. Yes. And pursue him. So, and, like, the blood is like a hallucinogen, mm -hmm. I guess? Right, which is, but or I appreciate he's seeing what is being shown to him. It's unclear right. whether it's like a on, on purpose thing or an. Accident. Well, thing. one of the things I like about this film is how very close it sticks to very traditional vampire lore. He has to move in a coffin of his native earth. In this right. case, it's his airplane. Right. He uh, doesn't like crucifixes. He doesn't, you know, I'm saying this as the BBC. Yeah, he did put a, a cross inside of one mm -hmm. of the victims' mouths because he didn't want to see it. Uh, he that does. was the first thing that uh, mm -hmm. Miguel Ferrar does when he's at this airport mm -hmm. with all these dead bodies. He touches one of the corpses and pulls out the cross from right. his mouth. And I'm like, you shouldn't be touching anything. I think he's gone that far. What we're meant to understand is that he's become obsessed with this case so that he he's no longer taking the actual steps he should take. Except we don't, because we've never seen him do anything else, we don't right. know if he's ever taken those steps or if he's well, always been too. reckless. So yeah. when he asks to see the vampire's face, he sees it. He's forced to drink the blood. He has these hallucinations. And he picks up an axe and begins whacking away at the bodies. Now, he's then interrupted by the police who... Shoot him the, repeatedly. Right. The <laughs> assumption that he's the one who's hacked all these people to death. It's a fair and assumption. He's actively hacking these people. Just behind them is Catherine. Yeah. Who is now going to do the exact same thing to him that he did to his friend, the reporter, years ago, which is to make the story Rick Dees goes nuts yes. and hacks people up with a axe. Yeah, she sees Renfield get on the plane and take off, mm -hmm. and she literally says out loud, never publish what you believe and never believe what you publish. Right. And then you see that Richard Dees is the night flyer, which is the, the <laughs> rude, because it's the coin that he, or the, the phrase that he coined, right. uh, and blames all of the murders on him. Now... Then what happened to Renfield? He just goes away? 
Well, he goes away. I think also Catherine might be smarter. He killed a than Mr. bunch Gaze? of people, and now he's good for a while. Well, like, what's the deal? A vampire. Because he just, really went yeah. from one to one to two to a whole bunch. Right. It's weird. Yeah. So how did you feel about the film overall? I think overall it was good. I was surprised that it is one that we don't... Like, Graveyard Shift is on fairly regularly, and this one isn't, and right. that is surprising to me. I'd flip it. And it might be, considering that it was made by independent European buyers that Maybe. had this troubled production history, that it... Because we found a DVD. Um, excuse me. Yes, a DVD. Yes, we. I bought a DVD of it on Netflix, or I mean on Amazon for and less than it 10 it had bucks. no special features. It looked no. like it was taken directly from a VHS copy somewhere. Also, no um, subtitles, which was a bummer. Right. No subtitles. Uh, no. There was a, an odd thing with the uh, the visual smoothing that I didn't care for. Uh, yeah, that's I think a DVD Blu-ray mm-hmm. issue. I don't think it's the things. But yeah, I mean, we, we didn't ended have up the have option to, not to have that happen. We had to. Yeah, but that's like I said, that's a player issue. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a DVD issue. I think it's a problem with the player to okay. the TV. Um, but we ended up slowing it down so that everything was just fuzzy, which <laughs> was not. It was not ideal. a great copy to begin with, so it didn't make it any better. Uh, Leonard Malton gave the score, gave the film two and a half stars out of four complimenting its genuinely creepy mood. I think that's right. And for mm-hmm. his performance, but criticized the final third of the film. I can see that. I can see, see that. See, actually, I like the final third of the film because it really, it builds up to something. When there is an oh shit moment when he walks into this airport and there are bodies just everywhere. everywhere. Where you're just like, oh, you're not ready for this. So it pays off that he thinks that this, I mean, he he thinks that somehow he's penetrated this mystery and he's, gotten very involved with trying to find out who this is, and he won't be thrown off no matter how many times the vampire himself tries to warn him yeah. not to follow. So apparently Stephen King and the director, Pavia, mm-hmm. had written a sequel? Yes, script? a sequel. Fear Flying was called, which is very good, actually. I like that. Uh, uh, focusing on Catherine Blair as well as the origins of the Night Flyer. However, they did not get the... They couldn't... <laughs> Secure the ten million dollars they needed to finance it. So now it's it's in a drawer. Fun movie. It is fun. And there's a lot of it has a lot of good moments to it. I I watch older horror movies and I think nowadays the scope of films has gotten so big, these sort of universe-ending movies that we we've uh, become accustomed to that the effectiveness of a small, creepy movie is lost. And I think this one captured it. And I guess, I bet Morrison was cast based on what people might recognize him in. There's only really three people in this movie, and then the person who plays the Night Flyer, who you mm-hmm. never really see his right. face. And his name, the, the but the uh, editor's name is Dan Monahan, and he played... The Pee Wee character in the Porky's movies, which are movies that I have never seen and mm. probably will never see. If I had to guess, I am not going to see that movie. Oh, we forgot our to do our one sentence synopsis. The a reporter on the is on the trail of a vampiric murderer who travels by plane. 
That's a boring synopsis. Well, it's not a vampiric. It's actually a vampire. Well, he's not vampire-like. Vampi- but no, but vampiric just means having vampire characteristics. Vampires are, by definition, vampiric. Mm. It's not a metaphor. It's a very poorly constructed sentence. Well, I mean, yeah, but taglines. That's not a tagline. I'm not going to read that out loud. Evil has a flight plan. Fly the deadly skies. Those are taglines. You know what's not a tagline? Startling nonstop horror. Or the best King adaptation since Misery. Those aren't taglines. You know what? I I would argue that it's the best King adaptation since... No, I I don't know. I think it actually probably followed the short story very closely. It probably did. And it really does feel like Stephen King. It does. And Miguel Ferrer is doing excellent work in here. Right. Like I said, he, he doesn't care what you're casting him. He's going to act... All the time. He's going to give a good performance. Not an over-the-top performance, a good performance. He yes. becomes a character, and that's what Although sets him a aside. lot of times what he's expected to do is over-the-top. Yeah, but so. he makes a person out of it. Yes. Yeah, I think you do lose it in that scene in the motel where he mm. basically attacks that girl for no reason. Because it makes him and... It makes both of their characters worse characters. Right. Like, it doesn't help the the personification of either of them. Yeah. Uh, so I do have a problem sort of with that. But she gets her comeuppance. So I guess. See, I, I liked the movie. I liked the performances. I really think the makeup effects were outstanding. Yeah, they were. They were very good. They were amazing. Um, there's some. It's like when we were watching Creepshow and you were amazed by some of the makeup stuff you were able to do practically a long time ago. And uh, that opening scene where the man's, uh, the character's face is slashed the wounds open up and blood pours out of them. And you think about how complicated that must have been to do Yeah. back then. And uh, this whole decapitation thing is done really, really well yeah. in this film. Not to mention the actual final monster looks like a monster. It's, it's really creepy and horrible. So I liked that. I liked... I wish that we hadn't uh, seen the monster until we see the monster in the movie. I right. don't like that it's on the cover which yeah. was the poster. Yeah, it's and what's a bummer. Weird is that the, the visual effects otherwise are not so great in this movie. There's a couple of scenes of Rick D's. Is it Rick D's? It's not Rick. His name's Richard. Rick I call D's. him Dick. I, it just occurred to me right now. Dick oh, D's. It's Dick Rick D's. Dick D's what? Dick D's nuts. <laughs> I am not proud of it, but it's what I keep yeah. thinking. There's scenes of him in his Cessna or whatever flying around. That are talking into a right recorder, recorder, which reminded me of the old Kolchak Night Stalker TV show. I'm sure that played a part in it. Oh yeah, for sure. Because that was a favorite of King's growing up, like all of us. Oh, not growing up necessarily. He was an adult at the time, but um, it looks for all the world like uh, Ferrera is sitting in an airplane parked on a you know um, probably parked in a uh, airstrip somewhere. Well, someone's shaking the wings of the plane and pouring dry ice over the window to make it look like it's a moving plane. And there's a couple of shots like that where you think, is that is it, are we supposed to get the impression the plane is moving or just that it's really foggy and he's driving around? Okay, no, right, exactly. Right. I'm like, so he's in a he's car in some sometimes kind of, and he's in a plane sometimes right. and I don't know where he is now. I can't tell because the, the, the set looks the same. So yeah. it could very well be he could be in a train moving around. But it's very foggy wherever he is. And 
that's where the film falls short. There's yeah. just obviously budgetary limitations, yeah. and that's what makes the makeup so startling because you're thinking this belongs in a bigger budget movie, but they went for it. They used the money mm-hmm. where they needed it, and that right, was the because makeup. people weren't coming to see a fancy special effect involving an airplane. They were coming no. to see vampire stuff, yep. and they got that. Yeah, and I yeah I like the way that like I said, there's mm-hmm. this point where he opens his mouth and the teeth sort of extend Mm -hmm. and I'm like I get it I like it this is different than other vampires that Mm -hmm. I've seen before so yeah no I I didn't feel feel the need to overdo it no it's not like we're going to dwell on this effect because which is a little surprising given that they give you the thing in the poster that we just aren't watching this thing from beginning of the movie on Look at look at the makeup we did. Look mm-hmm. at the makeup we did. Yeah. No, they don't do that, and that's good. And they use it very judiciously. They do. It's. it's I think it works as a film. I bet I he was works. pissed when he when they put that oh, on the trailer. I'm sure. I bet I'm everybody sure. who made the movie was like, "Well, fucking great. Right. You've ruined it. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm so glad when people don't come to see this movie because they've well, seen this and they're like, "Well, you don't show me the monster. Don't show me the monster first. I'm not going to pay to see the movie if I've seen the monster. Well, there was um, Night of the Demon in the 50s, which is, by the way, for everyone who wants this, it's a great horror movie. Uh, there's a... I thought we set up Night of the Hunter. That's a different No, that's movie. a great... Well, that's another great horror movie, actually. <laughs> but Night of the Demon, there's a demon that appears both at the beginning and the end of the film. And the director wanted to keep it subtle and mysterious so you don't quite see it. However, the producers insisted on showing the demon big mechanical thing, and it doesn't quite work as well as the rest of the film does. Mm. Director hated it, but he's like, well, okay, the producer insists on having it. It's going to sell. I don't like it, but there it is. Then the producers, who were dist- or the distributor, insisted on putting the monster as the image on the poster. Yeah, no. So not only it's did you just... have to watch it for the minutes where it wasn't convincing, you then had to see its face on the poster. But that is not going to get people in. That's going right. to keep people out. And what you were missing was how suspenseful and tight and creepy and did it or didn't it really happen, which is, it was meant that's to be really more like Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And that's the story of horror movies where suddenly the producer feels, we're going to have to put this in. Um, uh to the Devil a Daughter, the Christopher Lee film, which has one of his best performances, had the same problem. We can't not have a demonic baby. Let's make one and it look like a bath toy. And he had no idea it was in the film, so he's watching it in a premiere crowd going, what the oh, hell is no, that? Oh, what is that? <laughs> and he never referred to it again without calling this. it the abomination. Like, that is the worst special effect I've ever seen. Oh, no. And it ruined our movie. That's unfortunate. But that's kind of the way that it works with horror films. The producers feel that their investments recouped if they can horror with a capital H. This film plays it very smart, and whoever was distributing the movie and making the posters just blew it. Right. All right. That's going to bring us to the end of our Night Flyers discussion. The Night Flyer. Stephen the Night King, Flyer. The Stephen the Night King's comma, The Night Flyer. Okay. Um, next week, mm-hmm. any guesses on what we're watching next? I can't imagine. This one threw me for a loop because I'd almost forgotten this existed. The next few are ones that you are not thinking of. Okay. I'll tell you that. All right. So I'll do a quick rundown of what's coming. Okay. Next up, The Shining, the remake. Okay. Uh, Followed by Trucks and Quicksilver Highway. And I don't know really anything about either of those two. 
followed by apt pupil, and then we're going to cry for an hour when we watch The Green Mile. I know that Trucks is a remake of Maximum Overdrive. Rather, not a remake, but based on the same Like another, material. right, another another go. <laughs> right. Um, only this time, it's not what remains of a film that Stephen King wanted to direct. Because what we saw with Maximum Overdrive was all the really gory stuff cut out, and then just a nonsensical film left. Yeah. Um... I don't remember the other one that you mentioned. Quicksilver Highway. I've never heard of it. I do remember um, the Stephen King version of The Shining, which is ridiculous because they're both Stephen King versions of The Shining. The, well, but one's directed, or one is. I would say under that his direction, the, more or less. Uh, thematically, and we talked about this. The original Shining is opposite thematically of the the book as written. Mm-hmm. So it's I wouldn't say that it, it is his. Quicksilver Highway, I'm just going to... Mm-hmm. It's a 1997 television comedy horror film directed by Mick Garris based on Clive Barker's short story, The Body Politic, and Stephen King's short story, Chattery Teeth. The main story is centered on Aaron Quicksilver, played by Christopher Lloyd who tells horror stories to people he meets. And so then he's going to tell the stories. Matt Frewer's in it, too. Oh, I'm not sure if I can take all that. Uh, <clears throat> so, oh, and John yeah, Landis makes know. another fucking appearance. John Landis is in almost as many of these movies as... Uh, I wish I could like him. I like his movies. <laughs> as Stephen King is in, though. I like his movies. He's Every time I see him interviewed, he's kind of like a smirking jerk. Or he's... I've never seen an appearance where he is mocking stuff. It's really weird. Yeah, so we've got to try and find that one. Okay. If you all know where it is, let me know. Well, Night Flyer wasn't easy to find either. Yeah, but so that's the one I've got to try and find. Because Trucks, I know, is streaming. But, um, yeah, I, I, so we've got to look for a Quicksilver Highway. Um, and then we've got some... Uh, let's see what So what's say. the next one is... The Shining. The Shining, okay. Then Trucks, Quicksilver Highway, and all of those are TV movies okay. that came out all in 1997. I get to see Rebecca De Mornay. Um, yes. That makes me happy. Then we'll watch Apt Pupil and The mm. Green Mile. Apt Pupil, which is going to be a weird one to watch. And then Storm of the Century, mm. then Hearts in Atlantis, then Rose Red. So that's... Yeah. Mm. Then we're going to have to do a... We're going to talk about Carrie, which we recorded, uh-huh. and um, then the Dead Zone TV show, which we're not going to... Right. Y'all, it's several seasons long. We're not going to watch all of it. Maybe I'll have you watch the first episode and the last episode or something like that. Uh, we'll we'll try and figure that out, how we're going to talk about it, because we're not going to do the whole of it. And that brings us to March. So, yeah, th- that's what's coming up, <laughs> everyone. I'm scrolling down to see. So the last thing on my list is the 26th of November, uh-huh. if we stay on this, which I actually think it'll actually be later because I think we'll probably do two Castle Rock episodes, right. probably one on season one and one on season two. Okay. Uh, the last thing I have, though, is Dr. Sleep, which came out this year. Yes. Um, I have It Chapter 2. In the Tall Grass, Dr. Sleep. I'm going to have to add The Outsider on. The Outsider uh, is an HBO show that is coming uh, out in a week. 
uh, I will probably watch it before we talk about it, mm. but I have to add, and they more things are coming out. So if anything Stephen King comes out this year, we're adding it to the list. So, but right now we're set basically through the year to continue talking about Stephen King okay. adaptations. So that's where we are with that. Um, in the meantime, do you have anything non-Stephen King that you would like um, to that's a difficult recommend? Uh, what did we see? We have seen... No, we, no I, I don't know that there's anything because we, we've, we've been busy, I think. Um, I don't know if there's anything not Stephen King to recommend. I would say that if you... You could also recommend Stephen King stuff. Well, like... no, because we just saw uh, Creepshow. I've only seen the first two episodes. Okay. But there's something of quality in each episode. So it tends to be one more... Uh, that is another thing that I should add to the list that we should talk about at the end. Because he's the... working adaptations. Well, some of them were. And so I've seen two episodes. There was an episode involving a dollhouse, which I'm very fond of, because it reminds me of M.R. James' story, The Haunted Dollhouse, which was a favorite of mine. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but there's an episode involving a dollhouse that's really very good and creepy, and the performances are really good. I'm not so great with just the gore for gore's sake because gore for the, the point of being funny. But there is some good stuff. So I've seen two episodes and I want And to one a... of the second episodes that you started to watch, I that we started to watch and I actually left in the middle of not because of the show but because uh -huh. I was tired, um, was had DJ Qualls in it and I really uh -huh. like him. And his performance that episode was really very good. I like him as an adult with facial hair. Uh -huh. He looks like a regular person. <laughs> When he was younger, sans facial hair, he looked like a, a plucked baby bird. <laughs> well, yes. No, he just looks like a plucked baby bird that's growing some down back or something. But, um, but yeah, and I enjoyed it. But again, it's for people, if you can do the gore, this is it. Because there are going to be some moments where I'm like, I didn't need to see that. Mm. But then this was on New Year's Eve right after watching Brightburn. Which is a fairly graphic movie, too. We did watch Unexpectedly, that movie. If you're going to watch that... Be aware of the fact that there are some really graphic things in that film. What did I just watch that was in Korean? Oh, you watched The Handmaid. That's what I will. Yes, and that is what I want to. I was like, there's something that I just saw in an Asian language that I want to recommend. So I'm late to, hi, I'm late to this party. Hello, everyone. This is the latecomers, and I am late coming. But if you have Amazon Prime, or maybe even Hulu, I, it might be there too. I would urge you to seek out Park Chan-wook's film, The Handmaiden. Uh -huh. uh, if you haven't seen anything by him, you should watch all of them. I do warn you to gird your loins <laughs> while watching his films. He is the, uh, the mind behind Old Boy and Lady Vengeance. And Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, those are a vengeance trilogy. <laughs> I would have uh, suspected that, or a cooking trilogy. A movie I, called uh, Thirst, which I have not seen, so I cannot speak to. And then um, The Handmaiden came out in 2016. It is very beautiful, very sexual. Do not watch... This is not a put-it-on-with-your-parents movie. This movie is... 
deeply sexual in a way that when I was watching it in the living room by myself, I had the remote in my hand in case anybody walked in. Right. <laughs> it's like, this definitely appears to be porn. It's not, but it sort of almost is. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's adult, but if we're all adults here, um, it's a beautiful movie. It's very, very well acted. Um it's really an interesting story. It's interestingly told. It is long. It is two and a half hours long. So, you know, get ready. Stretch out. Get on the couch. Get your pause button ready. And uh, watch The Handmaiden. It's really good. I don't want to say anything more about it, really. Just that it well, is... Yeah. We, we, when we were recommending uh, Parasite, we also, the yeah. best thing to do is go in blind and I'm just not go know in anything. blind. Yeah, put on, oh, I had to turn off the captioning because it is captioned because it is in Korean and Japanese. Mm -hmm. And it is interestingly captioned and there's a, a, like a cover thing that's like everything that's yellow is in Japanese and everything that's white is wow. in Korean. So that's that you know who is teach who is speaking what, when. Um, and those two languages do sound very very similar to my untrained and Western ear. Like I can typically, if I hear somebody speaking Thai or Vietnamese, I recognize Thai or Vietnamese. But if someone is speaking Korean or Japanese, sometimes it takes me a while to figure out if it's Korean or Japanese. So, uh, and then this takes place when Korea is occupied by the Japanese. So it is a period piece as well. Uh, it's very, very good, very interesting. You're going to learn things about uh, cultures that you did not know uh, and that might interest you. And like I said, very sex sexual. It's a very sexual film. Le lesbian sexual. So I will be more more explicit. If yeah, don't be surprised. Ladies are going to love there other ladies in this movie. A great joke, which I cannot tell. Um, yes, no, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> if you feel that way, then you definitely I'll, I'll should. I'll tell you after, but there is a great joke. So next week, we're uh -huh. going to watch The Shining, the Shining, starring one Stephen Weber. Uh, I love him. Uh, I love him very much. Uh, and I don't care what you say. Wings is my jam. Uh, uh, and Rebecca Dormornay, so get that face up. No, look I didn't say, I'm saying that to him, not to her. Uh, and I watch her eating pie. That's... <laughs> Gross. That, is not that gross. seems like a gross thing for you to have said. Uh, so until then. Oh, no, I didn't. It wasn't a metaphor for anything. I meant actually eating pie. No, I understand that. Still gross. Um, so next week, The Shining. Uh -huh. We have it, I think, on a DVD pack. Yes. So well, that's how we're going to watch it. I believe it is streaming on one of the services. We have too many services, everyone. There's so many services. Uh, but we're going to watch the whole thing. I believe it is a two-part miniseries. We will be watching the whole thing and discussing it next week. So, in the meantime, if you know where Quicksilver Highway is, help me. Text me. No, don't text me. I'm not giving you my phone number. Tweet at me at latecomerspod. Um, or you can email me at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at the Latecomers Podcast. We're on there. So come say hi. And anything else? Do you have anything else to nope. offer? Okay.
Well, then I remind you, please take your medicine, and we remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.